0: Shalom, and welcome to Israel Policy Pod. I'm Eli Koaz
1: in Tel Aviv. And I'm Evan Gottesman, recording from San Francisco.
0: So Evan, I love saying shalom at the beginning of every podcast, but now we're actually talking about real shalom, or at least that's what it, what it looks like, because last Thursday, Israel, the United Arab Emirates, and the United States released a surprise joint declaration announcing the suspension of West Bank annexation something that we were pretty happy about, at the beginning of a process of normalizing ties between
1: Jerusalem and Abu Dhabi. Big news. Big news and an interesting tie-in to our usual podcast opener, although I think there are people out there who would dispute whether or not this is real shalom or whether there was even an absence of shalom to begin with between Israel and the UAE. But that's what we're going to discuss today and to help us understand these issues We are joined by journalist and former member of Knesset, Ksenia Svetlova. Few in Israel really get the Arab world as well as Ksenia does. She's reported for the BBC, Israel Channel 9, the Jerusalem Post, and Commerçant. Throughout her journalistic career, she got to visit a number of countries in the Middle East, including Lebanon, Syria, Libya, Bahrain, Egypt, and perhaps most importantly for our conversation today, the United Arab Emirates. She later served as a member of Knesset for Tzipi Livni's HaTnuah party. Today, she's a senior research fellow at the Institute for Policy and Strategy at IDC Herzliya and a senior policy fellow at Mitveem. She speaks Hebrew, English, and Arabic and Russian. So, an impressive resume right there. Ksenia, thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you
2: for having me. Hi guys, and shalom, definitely shalom.
1: To get things started, what is the substance of this agreement otherwise known as the Abraham Accords, between Israel and the United Arab Emirates and the United States?
2: Well, this is an excellent question because uh, until now, what we have seen is uh, a short document in English. Uh, we haven't seen yet one in Hebrew uh, or in Arabic for that matter. Uh, and the one in English, is it's quite basic. It does not... Uh, uh, you know, goes very deep and uh, there are no not many clauses to it. So it talks about uh, bilateral relations, the importance of these relations to both countries, uh, establishing a diplomatic uh, mission, and it's not specified even what kind of mission, whether it will be an embassy or, uh, you know, a trade uh, representative uh, of the office or something of a kind. Uh, but there's definitely no, uh, you know, uh, no knowledge, uh, no concrete knowledge about, other parts of this deal about, uh, you know, the possibilities of Emirates uh, having uh, uh, an opportunity to buy uh, F-35 from the United States, Uh, about uh, other, you know, things that uh, has to do with the Palestinian state or the absence of the Palestinian state or even annexation, yes? None of it is actually written in this document. And when the Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says that he already signed uh, the, you know, the uh, treaty with uh, you know with the Emirates, uh, some agreements with Emirates. Did he sign on this uh, document or not? Uh, well, because he's basically the only person in Israel that knows exactly what's in it, and uh, he's the only one uh, because uh, so uh, uh, this is the, the way he manages things. Yes, without the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and even his close partners, his partners to the Unity Government, were not involved. So. Uh, and we will not uh, know uh, until the signing of the agreement, whenever it will happen. My, thing, my, you know, understanding that it will be closer to the American elections, perhaps. Uh, uh, only by then we will know exactly what we are talking about. But uh, in any case, I can tell you that uh, my feeling is that we are going to the direction of um, uh, agreement that is filled with, with real stuff, stuff substance. Uh, it's not an empty agreement. It's not just a frame. Uh, This is something that both parties are interested in, and uh, uh, they're going to pursue it. Yes.
1: So the joint declaration, that document in English that you were speaking about, calls for normalization between Israel and the United Arab Emirates. But in order for these two countries to need to move toward normalization, it means that there's something that was abnormal before. So... Prior to this arrangement, or at least the declaration announcing the intention to reach this arrangement, what was the status of Israel-UAE relations?
2: Well, in fact, uh, until very recently, there were no diplomatic relations. There were no formal diplomatic diplomatic relations. And uh, United Arab Emirates uh, even did not uh, recognize uh, Israel. Uh, I I visited uh, the UAE in 2006. And by that time, uh, the uh, telephone network in Emirates had blocked uh, the Israeli numbers. You couldn't call, you couldn't dial to 972. Uh, In the airport of Dubai in 2006 and also in 2007, when I visited, uh, you could not, for example, uh, go and visit uh, Israeli uh, websites. It was also blocked. Uh, And uh, so now they are unblocking uh, all of the systems, uh, the telecom, so it will all be available. Uh, but, uh, I can tell you that during the last 20 years, perhaps, uh, we are witnessing, uh, slow, but, you know, steady repro- rapprochement, uh, between the sides, uh, and, uh, it began soon after the 9-11 events, uh, and, uh, the presentation of the Arab peace initiative, uh, by the Saudi Arabia, by the, uh, then crown prince, uh, Abdallah, who later became king. Uh, it was, you know, it was quite clear, and I followed the Emirati uh, media, the Saudi media, other Gulf uh, states media, uh, and uh, sometimes when we saw, even during the Intifada, uh, op-eds, you know, in Shark uh, al and then later in Al Arabiya, they talked about Israel as maybe perhaps not the most horrible enemy of the Arabs, and even not enemy at all, you know, so uh, it was quite clear that there is a desire in that part of the world to normalize the relations. Uh, Then, you know, since 2005, we have uh, the visits of the Israeli, you know, sportsmen, uh, participation in uh, some global events that are taking part uh, in Doha and then also in Abu Dhabi and Dubai. Uh, And things are slowly, you know, getting better and better, but but still it was quite clear that uh, an Israeli citizen uh, could not actually get uh, to the States unless he has another... Citizenship or he was officially invited uh, by a company or by uh, one of the state offices uh, in this country. So there was no war. So therefore, I cannot tell you that we are talking about agreement because, well, you know, there was no war. Uh, so it's not like in the case of Jordan and Egypt. Uh, however, both sides, uh, as I mentioned, both Netanyahu and uh, Mohammed bin Wade, uh, the ruler, de facto ruler of the United Arab Emirates, they prefer to frame this agreement as peace agreement. Uh, also to give it some historical dimension, perhaps. Uh specifically specifically I think he's very interested to, you know, to be set at the same league as Menachem Begin and its Kakrabin. Uh, also who think that he gave nothing in return, which, you know, I think we'll discuss it uh, soon, whether he gave something or not. Uh, But uh, in any case, uh, you know, this is a welcomed agreement, even if we are talking about like normalizing the relations and not, uh, you know, peace between former enemies. Uh, But still, you know, it's it's an important event. And uh, I do believe that it opens, uh, you know, perhaps a gate to a, you know, totally new era in uh, the relations between Israel and the Arab world.
0: Yeah, of course, definitely agree. Aksania. And we saw, I think it was last year, it was the uh, uh, Judo, like the international championships of Judo uh, that was happening uh, in UAE. And Israel was allowed to participate, actually won a gold medal, and they played Hatikva uh, at uh, the stadium. I think that was a, a sign of things to come. But let's maybe specify and just talk a little bit about why like the UAE is the first country out of all these countries that lack formal relations uh, with Israel. Um, why is UAE the first? I mean, obviously, they're interested uh, in Israeli technology and uh, cooperation, and they have a huge tourism industry. And obviously, for Israelis, it will only be a, a three-hour flight. I mean, Netanyahu already visited the airport uh kind of as a photo op to say that he was working right away um, to make a direct flight, even though Ben Gurion Airport remains mostly closed because of COVID-19. What are both countries looking for this uh, in terms of uh, this uh, agreement? And why Why do you think the UAE was the first out of all the, the Arab countries to normalize uh, ties with Israel?
2: Yes, thank you for this question. I think this is very interesting and to understand better Uh, you know, this uh, dynamic uh, between the two countries, it's important to look into what the United Arab Emirates uh, has uh, developed into, you know, from just another Gulf state, you know, with uh, uh, enormous uh, wealth and, uh, you know, tourism and uh, uh, glamorous uh, uh, cities like Dubai and Abu Dhabi. uh, It also emerges as a new Middle Eastern leader. Uh, So it tries to position itself uh, next to Saudi Arabia, and perhaps even it—you know—it uh, overdues Saudi Arabia in many senses. Uh, the United Arab Emirates, in the last few years, they have shown that they—you uh, know—they have this independence uh, of uh, thought, of leadership, and uh, if they uh, uh, believe that in their best interest is to distance themselves uh, a little bit from Ariad. so this is what they—this is what they do. For example, uh, uh, the United Arab Emirates also normalised their relations uh, with, the, with Syria this year, earlier a little bit. So it means that they are interested in the position of power. They want to influence. They want to play with different players. They do not want to limit themselves to just you know one uh, alliance. Uh, they are uh, right now they are engaged in uh, the warfare in Libya uh, along with Saudi Arabia and France and Russia. Uh, against Turkey and the Qatari-Turkish uh, alliance. Uh, they are also very uh, very active in Yemen, where they fight along with Saudi Arabia, but for different causes and with different partners. So uh, um, I think that if, for them, you know, it would be, it was a little bit easier, perhaps, to take a state forward uh, to, towards Israel than, you know, for Saudi Arabia, because Saudi Arabia also has a different composition of the population, uh, significantly different, significantly bigger, younger, uh, with different elements, with different, uh, you know, of problems, uh, such as the, you know, Wahhabi uh, domination of the local clerics, uh, and so on. So, uh, even if Muhammad bin Salman was also interested in, uh, you know, perhaps uh, doing the same step, uh, it was not that easy for him. And also because, uh, you know, his father, he's still alive and he's still powerful. Uh, and, uh, is less, I uh, would say eager, uh, perhaps to, you know, to, to go to lead this, his country for this quick, uh, rapprochement, uh, with Israel. Uh, as so the United Arab Emirates. Uh, they, not only that they, that they have this, um, in, you know, image and, uh, they act as the leader, uh, of, in the Middle East, but they also, uh, they're very strong in the inter-religious dialogue. So this is the image that they want for themselves. Uh, an open, a tolerant country that is uh, tolerant of uh, all religions. Specifically, are uh, they monotheistic Abrahamic religion. There are many uh, conferences that they hosted. Uh, there are many interreligious connections that they promoted, also with the help of, of some American church organizations, such as AGC. Uh, so uh, it goes very well, you know, within this frame of this uh, new image, you know, of uh, modern. Uh, tolerate uh, very advanced uh, modern state, uh, an Arab state which is an absolute uh, monarchy, but still uh, very uh, you know uh, uh, acceptable of others. Okay, so in this regard, I think it was easier easier for them to do this uh, move than for everybody else. And again, you know, they are rich country; they do not, they do not uh, depend on anybody. Uh, on the other side, you know, uh, we have common enemies, us and the Emiratis. Uh, I do only talk about the Iranians. Okay, so this is uh, uh, one uh, uh, alliance, you know, the Iranian, uh, uh, Iranian Syria Hezbollah and that uh, Hamas Gaza. But there is also another alliance. that is threatening the Emirates, threatening the Egyptians uh, and in some ways the uh, Saudis. It's Turkey, Turkey and Qatar. From uh, so, uh, Israel is also the, the Turkish president as well, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, and. Uh, our interests actually coincide in so many ways and matters in the Middle East. As of today, we don't know what will happen tomorrow, but as of today, uh, this, is, this alliance seems quite natural, uh, and it seems uh, quite, uh, in the you know geopolitical terms, uh, quite, quite understandable. So if we have the both, you know, common enemies, uh, so uh, why not to normalise relations? Why not to go ahead and? Uh, uh you know fight uh, you know at least or, to, or or at least to allow israel to fight these enemies yes i think this is what the gulf states would like to do uh because they perceive israel as quite a superpower uh with a great army very modern army and they actually look up to these capabilities uh and they're very fearful of uh, the intentions uh, you know of these enemies of both alliances uh so there's another issue and the last one i was you note, know, of course I mean uh, very important uh, to this uh, specific deal, uh, it's of course the American weapons. Uh, the United Arab Emirates is a huge buyer of the American weapons, uh, and they are interested in the you know top of the art, the most uh, advanced uh, production you know, of the American defense industry uh, that they can afford. They can afford everything. But they couldn't afford everything until now because of the, uh, uh, you know, the principle of the Israeli regional superiority uh, in defense. Uh, if this doesn't exist anymore, if this agreement includes also, you know, the element of uh, the, you know, that the Mirages could lay their hand on the uh, some uh, advanced drones or, the, for example, the F-35, uh, then Basically, you know, this is the price tag that in our state, you know, in return uh, uh, to normalizing of relations and uh, having the signature uh, with Mohammed bin Zaid and uh, Trump at the White House.
1: By the way, there's been some confusion about this issue that you just mentioned, the sale of the F-35 stealth fighter jet. To the UAE. There's been reports that there was a secret clause in the arrangement between Israel and the UAE that would allow the US to sell this aircraft to the UAE. Uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu claims that's not the case. And this all becomes sensitive with the issue of the US-Israel special relationship and this idea of a qualitative military edge for Israel that the United States grants. So, what's the source of that confusion and is the UAE going to actually get access to this technology? Well, so
2: there were many publications in the Israeli media. Uh, the first of them was uh, published, I think, by Yota uh, And they mentioned uh, that uh, the price uh, for this deal, uh, there are no free deals, as we know. Somebody has to give something to make it happen. Uh, so the Emirates, from their side, they gave the... You know, uh, they uh, allowed uh, Israel to turn from the from mistress to the legal wife, to normalize the relations that exist for, you know, many years, at least for 20 years or so. Uh, but uh, what Israel had to give is the, according to what was published again by the Israeli press, uh, is uh, to okay the uh, future deals uh, between uh, the United Arab Emirates and the U.S. Uh, and uh, the opportunity to acquire uh, the F-35. So, in the, in the past, when the peace deals were signed between Israel uh, and Egypt uh, or Jordan, okay, so, uh, you know, the Egyptians got so many weapons. They get the assistance, uh, the military assistance from the United States, which is worth $1.4 billion annually. Uh, but Israel was very uh, keen to keep, uh, you know, this uh, edge, uh uh, in uh, defense, you know, uh, for themselves. So uh, uh, if the Egyptians, they uh, they asking to buy the F 35 for many years, and since the uh, the Israel did not okay that, uh, they are now opting for the Su-35, the the Sukhoi uh, that which is uh, produced by Russians. Uh, so if we, for example, imagine for a second uh, that there is a secret clause in the deal, and uh, the Emiratis will eventually get the as that fight from the Americans. So the next ones that will get it as well will be the Egyptians and the Saudians and then everybody else. Okay, so um, uh, this is, uh, I think, it uh, doesn't pose on any immediate threat on Israel today because, again, they are you know, fighting on the same side. But uh, there was also always a question in the turbulent Middle East the question of tomorrow. So, what will happen in the States tomorrow and who Will be able to get to lay their hands uh, on uh, this uh, state of the art uh, modern uh, uh, jets. Uh, so, uh, uh, this is what worried the Israeli uh, politicians uh, 30 years ago and 40 years ago, and even until very recently. And this is something that uh, to many uh, people who are coming from the um, Military is fair in Israel, and they discussed with them you know, today and yesterday uh, this situation. They they are very worried uh, because uh, you never know. You know who could tell uh, ten years ago that uh, the Muslim Brotherhood will win the elections in Egypt and for one year, but still uh, will be in charge of what is happening in Egypt. Who could tell? You know who could know? Uh, who could know that uh, you know Syria will be almost cons- almost consumed uh, by the uh, you know fanatics from the uh from the uh, uh you know, from uh United states. So uh nobody knew know these things, you know. So uh it was always important that I think this is a strategical change in regards to in relation to uh other Arab countries. Uh and uh, um, I think it's too early to actually evaluate you know the kind of uh damage uh, or at least a change of this uh, strategy that existed for so many years. And perhaps, perhaps it doesn't exist anymore.
0: I think that's right, and also it makes um, what the manner in which Netanyahu did this kind of without even, or at least it's been reported, without consulting with the Defense Ministry, Defense Minister uh, Benny Gantz, um, makes it even more more problematic. And with that, I want to turn back to focus on Israel before we talk about. Uh, the response uh, in the Arab world, um, and talk about Netanyahu's big quote-unquote concession here. Uh, Netanyahu, obviously, we had three elections in the past year uh, in Israel, and his big election promise was annexation or applying sovereignty to at least specific uh, areas of the West Bank. And this was uh, net- the concession that Netanyahu had to make for uh, this normalization with the UAE. Um, now, Netanyahu has marketed his peace as a peace for peace. In Hebrew, shalom, t'murat shalom, which is part of mm-hmm. like the what's been called the Netanyahu doctrine, where uh, Israel doesn't need to give land for peace like they did in the past. How much of this, Xenia, do you think is an actual concession? I mean, some would say that Netanyahu didn't really want annexation to begin with, and he was just pandering to the right-wing base to try to get votes uh, from Bennett, who's been emerging recently uh, in the polls. And others would say Netanyahu was pretty serious about annexation, at least within the context of the Trump plan and the 30% annexation that the Trump plan uh, includes. So what's your take on this? Is Netanyahu, um, was he serious about... uh, like annexation? And did he just use it as a gambling chip? Or is this actually something that he's g- giving up on? And Netanyahu, I should mention that he said immediately at, at the press conference when he announced this agreement with the UAE, he said that annexation is just temporarily suspended. Um, he didn't mm-hmm. say that it's off, whereas the U- uh, in the US and obviously in the Arab world, people have been talking about annexation like, that's it, it's done, and it's not happening. So, so what's your take here?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, I think it's quite a puzzle, uh, because uh, until the end of the 20th Knesset, uh, until the uh, end of 2019, 2018, um, I, I've heard repeatedly that talking on the Committee for Foreign Affairs and Defense, where he gave briefings on other occasions, when he always avoided the issue of Sovereignty. He was actually attacked by some uh, members of the then it was called the Jewish Home, the Right Wing Party, uh, and his own party members uh, wanted to submit bills uh, to annex uh, E1, or Mali Adumim, or Gush or, or all of them together, or Jordan Valley. And he did all uh, his utmost in order to take it off the table every time, every time. So uh, I was convinced until very, very recently, until the uh, of May this year, that he's not into an extension because he understands more than everybody else. He does meet Arab leaders. Uh, he knows very well, you know, the geopolitical situation in the uh, in the Middle East. Uh, he knows what are the dangers uh, and what are the, you know, uh, odds that we will have another intifada, the in deterioration of relations with Jordan, and certainly uh, no uh, advancement of uh, any peace. Uh, with any of the gar- Arab Gulf states that uh, indicated that they are willing to do so in the future. So I was quite sure that uh, he's playing with this. That's like he's playing with his every other promises. Yes, like, uh, you know, I I will destroy Hamas. He promised that in 2008, his campaign in 2008, before the elections of 2009. So what? Okay, so Hamas is now perhaps stronger than ever. And has more, you know, well, uh, weapons and rockets uh, and threatening uh, thousands of Israelis. So uh, uh, then he named a date, okay, so July the 1st. And I was beginning to think, well, you know, maybe he had some secret understanding with the White House. Uh, and uh, perhaps the Friedman Party, the Ambassador Friedman Party, is having the upper hand uh, against uh, Jared Kushner's camp, uh, that was always, you know, the middleman between Israel and uh, Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. Uh, but at the same time, I knew that there were no concrete plans, there were no maps, there were nothing uh, nothing real. Uh, and it was very strange, because if you are talking about July the 1st, but even the IDF doesn't know uh, what is uh, about to come uh, and how to handle the situation, then something is fishy about this thing, you know? So it seems to me that perhaps uh, there was already some kind of understanding that uh, they uh, uh, Emirates uh, might uh, uh, sign a, some kind of a treaty with Israel. Uh, the annexation was not really okayed by the White House, after all. Uh, and it was very convenient uh, um, you know, uh, letter to, to step down from this annexation promise, uh, specifically because uh, it's not very high on the everyday Israelis' priorities. So uh, only 5% of the Israelis, according to some polls, uh, rated the annexation is their top priority. 5%. So it, it means that even, like, you know, it, it's it's the minority even among the right-wing voters, l- let alone the center and the left, okay? So, and now when we are looking at the, number, the numbers of the polls right now, that they show that 80% of the Israelis are choosing the agreement with the United Arab Emirates over 20 that support the annexation. I think it's quite clear. So the, I think it's the combination of things. It's the uh, and a lack of the popularity of this uh, move uh, in Israel. Uh, it's the pressure, perhaps, uh, in, 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 uh, from the White House. Uh, and uh, the, also the fear that it indeed may, uh, uh, might uh, cause uh, turbulence, you know, in, in this very uh, violent ways. And this is the last thing that Israel needs right now. And also it's very bad, of, of course, for the elections. And the peaceful Democrats sell much better. Uh, and uh, as for the you know the right wingers so I can tell you that the right uh specifically their ideological right, uh, the settlers they opposed the annexation as well because it was not good enough for them, you know. So uh, it was not good enough for them because it uh, allowed some you know, understand uh, to stand like, uh, but still. Independent Palestinian state, and this is the, 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 something that they are not prepared to discuss in any shape, in any form. Uh, so, for so the majority Israelis, I think annexations meant actually nothing. For uh, so, you know, some few percent, yeah. you know, of their ecological right. Uh, it was not acceptable because it was too little, you know, it, it was uh, something that they couldn't compromise on. Uh, so for Nitingeo, I think it's a win-win situation. Nobody will, uh, uh, you know, uh, go after him right now and say, wow, well, listen, you know, you promised our initiation, please uh, fulfill this. Uh, you know, so uh, this uh, dissatisfaction that uh, we hear from some of the sound elements in the right-right uh, wing, uh, you know, this professors They do not vote for the record in any case. So he didn't lose anything, and perhaps he gained uh, something among the, you know, the uh, few, few votes. Few votes, but he added something. You know, because uh, it is a historical agreement,
1: and I think many
2: people in Israel understand it. and It's easy to relate to this uh, because uh, you know we, we checked in the Mithril Institute uh, two years ago uh, uh, the level of popularity of the Arab states. Uh, between Israelis and they asked the question if you would go to any Arab state, what country are you willing to go? So the majority said the majority of the Israelis actually said that they are not willing to go to any Arab state. They are not interested. But if they would go to some Arab state, it would be the United Arab Emirates. <laughs> so here's the you know answer I think to your question. Uh,
0: we saw that and also especially I mean that poll that you mentioned where you had over eighty eight percent of Israelis preferring this peace treaty uh, or this normalization uh, over uh, annexation just shows how uh, widespread the support is from not just Israelis on the s- center-right, but also on the left. And that's uh, putting aside that a lot of them were were uh, protesting Netanyahu during the past uh, months, obviously, over other issues. But this, uh, this move definitely had widespread uh, support. Um, and I also just wanted to mention because uh, you were talking about signs that we saw earlier, we had a U.S. Uh, UAE ambassador to the United States, Youssef Al Taibe, uh, come out with that interview, which kind of was looked like it was like out of nowhere uh, in June, where actually to an Israeli newspaper saying that Israel has an opportunity and mm-hmm. all they need they just need to give up pretty much on annexation. I think that was a sign that obviously something uh, was happening. I want to ask you about. Uh, it's a bit more internal Israeli politics. If you think that uh, we heard stories that both Ashkenazi and Gantz and blue and white were not uh, privy to a lot of what was going on, and uh, they were kind of out of the loop here. But do you think them in the government uh, gave Karim Netanyahu more uh, confidence or to, to go forward with this, uh, as opposed to, uh, the let's say, the previous government? Uh, that we had in Israel, where it was like a, a right-wing ultra-orthodox government. Um, did do they play a part here? Do they deserve any? I mean, they've been criticized so much for joining Netanyahu. Uh, do they deserve any uh, credit for uh, this temporary halt or this permanent halt in annexation and uh, normal normalization with at least one, and it seems uh, more, possibly more than one, which we'll get to in a bit, uh, into uh, Arab countries. Uh, what do you think about that? The manner in
2: which Netanyahu uh, has led things and managed things, you know, in this regard, is just a proof, another proof, you know, that our country is becoming less and less democratic. Uh, and it becomes auto- uh, autocratic, you know, because if he is not able to involve even, you know, uh, his partners in the unity government, uh, so what does it say about the manner in which the country ruled? And uh, if uh, with time we will uh, discover that there is some other darker angles, you know, to this deal, nobody will actually be surprised, you know, because this is how Netanyahu uh, manages our uh, internal politics, this is how he manages our uh, foreign relations as well. Uh, I do not think that uh, Gantz and uh, uh they gained, uh, gained any points, you know, just because they, they joined the government that eventually uh, signed on the peace treaty with the Emiratis. Because they were not part to this deal. They were not part uh, to this uh, negotiations, secret negotiations. And they were not part to the, also this big announcement. Um, and uh, by the way, if they are talking about annexation, then uh, at some point, uh, Gantz uh, would feel you know, that he's planning to go along uh, with uh, you know with Netanyahu's move. Uh, so he did some words that uh, indicated that uh, he has some reservations about annexation. But I can just uh, remind you that he, in his own uh, campaign, he also used the motive of uh, annexation of the Jordan Valley. And in many interviews, he actually said that he believes that, you know, annexation of the Jordan Valley, yes, uh, uh, it's better that it will be uh, negotiated for the Palestinians and so on, but yes, Israel needs to stay in the Jordan Valley. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, annexation, he didn't throw that out completely. Uh, so uh, I... I do not think that he or Ashkenazi would be able to regain, you know, the popularity that they enjoyed during this uh, three elections uh, last year or to uh, bring back, you know, the popular support uh, of Israelis who were very disappointed by their decision, by their decision to join eventually Benjamin Netanyahu. They did not do much in order to stop or to block the annexation. You know, this is how it feels and this is. Uh, what the facts are saying, you know, about their position, about their statements, and so on. So uh, uh, the uh, people who actually do decide, do have this weight to to make uh, real decisions in this, regard, sit far away from here, uh, in the White House. Uh, so we're talking about the President Trump, we're talking about Jared Kushner, we're talking about Ambassador Friedman, who is actually here, and uh, he was pushing a lot, you know, for the annexation, this is why I mentioned Friedman camp versus uh, Kushner camp, okay? So, uh, but they are not ganz Ashkenazis, no, not at all. Uh, and I do not think that there will be less opposition uh, for Benjamin Netanyahu uh, just because of this uh, move. Uh, in fact, you know, many people that I know have written, you know, the Twitter accounts uh, in the, the same day when it was announced, you know, that uh, we are going to normalize relations with uh, Abu Dhabi, uh, that uh, a trip to Dubai would be great, Uh, But uh, we uh, we will also stay right now in Balfour, Uh, we are not going anywhere, we are not traveling to Dubai, although it's very nice, but we are not traveling there right now. Uh, We are staying in Balfour and we continue to protest against uh, the Prime Minister.
1: It's an important point that you bring up to mention how Netanyahu has said that annexation isn't off the table and and he's emphasized this word suspension as opposed to cancellation or, or termination of annexation. And frankly, I I don't know if you can ascribe a, a coherent strategy to Netanyahu anymore other than self-preservation. I mean we we it's it's hard to believe, but January twenty twenty one is only a couple of months away, and that is when the evidentiary phase of Netanyahu's corruption trial is going to begin and he'll be in court three times a week and you know, then whatever it is to keep him in office and keep him out of jail for a couple days longer will probably be his priority. Um, But I want to move from the Israeli internal dynamics to the internal dynamics in the UAE and some of the other Arab countries. Uh, What has the public reaction in the UAE looked like to this? And how has the UAE, which contrary to Prime Minister Netanyahu's classification, is not an advanced democracy, uh, how is the UAE handling people who criticize normalization with Israel?
2: Well, uh, I do know for a fact that, of course, uh, there are people also in the UAE that uh, uh, do not support this move, uh, and uh, they were very critical uh, you know, regarding the normalization of relations uh, before. Uh, but at the same time, I have to tell you that from personal uh, experience and from talking to different people of the record, uh, many of them, even those who are not partners uh, of uh, Israeli companies and do not have uh, a share in a business, uh, uh, which is a great operation. Apparently, yes. Uh, some experts in Israel are talking about like four billion dollars uh, of uh, you know bilateral trade uh, annually. So this is uh, incredible. This is with a country with which we didn't have until now any diplomatic relations. Uh, so uh, uh, they are very excited. These countries they are very excited because. Uh, uh, whether it's due to the efforts of the local media, uh, which was also helped and assisted by the uh, by uh, Israeli electronic warriors uh, that are spreading the news about Israel and its advancements and its technology. You know, this is the accounts in Arabic language that are run by uh, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. They are doing an incredible job in creating a very positive image to Israel, you know. So I can tell you that there are there are people who... Really, you know, uh, 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 they believe that uh, Israel, first of all, it's a role model for them. Uh, and they're they are quite open, you know, about it. And they think that it's a huge potential. Uh, also, uh, when we're talking about uh, cooperation uh, between the defense systems, but also trade, business, tourism, and everything else. Uh, and uh, they're not uh, very much sympathetic with the Palestinians. Not anymore, at least. Uh They feel that, uh, you know, the Palestinians have stayed in the 20th century, while these, you know, the countries like Emirates and Saudi Arabia, uh, Bahrain and others, they are moving towards, you know, uh, to the future. Uh, It's 21st century right now. And the Palestinian uh, issue is important, but it's not uh, the most important issue in the Middle East today, yes? So the struggle between the Sunni Arab states and Iran, uh, the uh, Turkey and anti-Turkey uh, tension, you know, and uh, and so on. Uh, the unemployment, you know, the uh, national resources, and uh, the future of uh, oil and gas industry. The you know, uh, right now, the low rates of the you know of, uh, of oil and gas, uh, and uh, you know, and and so on. And the attempt of these countries that are dependent on of oil, gas, and and gas to reinvent themselves. Okay, so this is what they are interested in, uh, and uh, I can tell you that. Uh, for Israel, you know, some you know some people here, and especially in the right wing, uh, perhaps they think right now that, well, this is great, because the Arab world is not interested anymore in the Palestinians, uh, except for this uh, few uh, dissidents that are being, uh, you know, sided away, and uh, they are not very—some of them, they are even afraid to open their names, to reveal their names, and uh, to talk openly about their resistance and their reservations regarding this deal. Uh, but uh, I think that uh, perhaps it's time now when it became clear that it's Israelis versus Israelis together, you know, so uh, it's our bilateral issues with the Palestinians. Uh, it, indeed, it's not very important perhaps to the Emirates or to Saudis or to others, uh, although, you know, they made it clear that there will be no annexation move uh, and uh, they have uh, also guarantees for that. Uh, but in any case, I think uh, it's time for Israel to understand But it's our conflict. It's Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Yes, it's not anymore an Arab-Israeli conflict. Yes, it's a Palestinian-Israeli conflict. But a Palestinian-Israeli conflict still exists. It doesn't go anywhere. Our border is not with Abu Dhabi. Our border is not with Burj Dubai. It's here with Ramallah and Gaza. And uh, the 40 fires that were caused by the balloons that flew from Gaza Strip uh, and the rockets that exploded uh, in the road on the Territory of a uh, kindergarten. It's the reminder that the new Middle East that Netanyahu is right now presenting to us, uh, and he wants to have the solution that uh, you know Palestinians do not exist anymore. They are not important. They are important to us because they they are uh, immediate neighbors. So no matter what people think about them in the uh, Abu Dhabi or in the area, they may not think about them about them at all we're still stuck with this problem, you know? So it's our responsibility now to uh, take this issue and to, you know, with the, perhaps with the help of the Arab states, uh, try to work out a decent solution for it, okay? So, uh, again, you know, so uh, there is also the minuses, but there are also, uh, you know, advantages uh, in this new situation. There is no more pressure on Israel on behalf of the, you know, the Arab League or the Arab states uh, to do anything. Uh, and But it should be our own national priority. This is quite clear. Uh, the Emiratis will not push us, certainly, yes, to this direction. They are fine with the status quo. So it seems. Uh, so the responsibility, it's only the Israeli responsibilities from now on. Uh, then it's up to us, really, what to do
1: with it. And the Palestinians, how have they been handling this? I mean, it seems like they've been firing off on all cylinders in opposition to the UAE and any Arab country that, um, that reaches out for normalization with Israel. Of course, with the UAE specifically, there's also the dimension with Mohammed Dahlan, a rival of Palestinian Authority, President Mahmoud Abbas, who is living in exile in the UAE. Um, but do they have a coherent strategy to respond to these developments?
2: Um, you know, it's, I think it's easy to understand the Palestinian anger uh, because they feel that they are only uh, defense, yes, they are defense, defenseless, you know, they do not have any uh, modern army or anything uh, to, you know, to protect them. Uh, or, uh, how This is how they feel. So the only thing that they have is the international uh, law, it's the decision of the international community, and also the Arab solidarity. So the Arab solidarity was always, Problematic, you know. So, uh, uh, Arab states had used uh, cynically the Palestinian uh, affairs and Palestinian problem uh, for their own good, you know, when they thought that it's uh, uh, it's a good card to play uh, to uh, ignite more uh, sympathy for the for the states and uh, for the pan-Arab ideology and so on. Uh, but when it became not so much convenient, so we see what is going on right now uh it's uh you know the support for the palestinians doesn't help uh states like uh, uh i don't know bahrain or the united arab emirates to protect themselves uh from iran or from turkey or from the muslim brotherhood uh and so on uh friendship with israel and the united states and uh, uh more approachment you know basically uh, you know with this uh, israel american alliance uh is beneficial is beneficial it also allows them to uh, you know, uh, uh, progress and to develop themselves and uh, in the, in many many different fields. Uh, so this is uh you know this is a simple uh, calculation. You know, political calculation. There are no permanent uh, friends in politics. Yes, or so there are only permanent interests. Uh, so the Palestinians uh, were not able to work out strategy that will allow them to actually use this approachment that is happening for twenty years now between the Arab states and Israel for their benefit. And this is the problem, basically. Yes, they fumed and they were angry and they uh, tried to exercise some pressure, you know, this state or another state, but the train actually had left, you know, the station. Uh, I think uh, this is quite clear. And the boycott, for example, of the United Arab Emirates that lasts now for a few years, a few years between PA and uh, Abu Dhabi, the relations are, uh, quite bad, also because of the support of Muhammad Aflan, uh, it didn't benefit uh, the Palestinians. And uh, when they uh, turned down the uh, uh, you know, the uh, humanitarian aid that was shipped uh, to Honduran airport by the Emirati uh, airplane, uh, eventually it ended in Gaza, by the way. Yeah? Uh, so who benefited from it? Uh, And uh, so it's a very good question about the strategy that the Palestinian Authority will have now. I think if there will be, if we will see more states joining the UAE, uh, such as Bahrain, Oman, you know, Sudan, I think it's a little bit less important. Also, they have now this quite weak transitional government that I don't even know if they are authorized to make this kind of decision. Uh, But regardless of that, you know, another state or two states I think it will be, um, I think it will be the slide, it will be a proof uh, of a failed uh, policy uh, of uh, the Palestinian autonomy. Uh, they relied heavily uh, on the international bodies and promoting uh, their fair, you know, in the international institutions. Uh, but they didn't gain anything in these uh, few years uh, since 2014. Uh, and yes, they are the weaker side. Yes, it's them that need to work out somehow the situation to achieve sovereignty and to achieve independence. A new Palestinian leadership uh, will probably emerge. Uh, it has to emerge in order to work out new strategy and to uh, somehow defend you know, the Palestinian interests because the current leadership is not doing that great. Uh, I'm not sure that the new leadership will include Muhammad Dahlan, even uh, if he's uh, promoted and uh, uh, protected by the uh, UAE. Uh, he uh, has uh, enjoyed some popularity in Gaza Strip, uh, not so not so much uh, in the, the West Bank, uh, and also many people in Gaza will tell you as well that uh, you know he doesn't have a real chance to unite the Palestinians, to uh, rally them, you know, together and to uh, achieve something for them. at the end of the day, uh, it seems that uh, you know his new strategy uh, is, uh, is is ought to to, to be worked out. Uh, But there is for now, because, uh, you know, basically Abu Mazen uh, just uh, pushed everybody who is somehow, you know, capable in anything uh, away uh, and estranged them. Okay, so for now, I do not see anything that will be emerging from Ramallah, except of, uh, you know, some uh, uh, fuming and, uh, you know, perhaps threats and so on. Uh, Unfortunately, unfortunately, this is the situation. So, uh, yeah, no much, no much hope uh, that something will change from this direction.
0: And we'll see how the Palestinians react if uh, there are announcements of normalization with other countries um, as well in the near future. And I just want, I I mean, we're we're running short short on time and so many questions to ask, but Mm -hmm. I want to just know, I mean, there have been people on Twitter predicting the order of which normalization will happen with countries. I think the front runners have been uh, Oman, Bahrain, and maybe Sudan, even though there was some controversy about Sudan uh, today and some miscommunication from their foreign ministry. Um, what what do you think the order will be? Is this something that will, will happen uh, quickly? Um, and do you think, like, our countries... I mean, obviously, Saudi Arabia is kind of, like, the big fish here. They're supporting all this behind the scenes, but they're not... Uh, they're, they haven't signaled that they're about to normalize ties. Um, and will this be something where Israel will have to give up more uh, concessions or will it kind of be like the UAE is just the first and other countries will, will follow and just jump on uh, on the train? What's, what's your take here? Well,
2: uh, I'm not like uh, uh, these people on Twitter that you mentioned that will not predict uh, anything regarding the <laughs> No, we're not asking. Identity. We're not asking you to predict. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes,
2: yes, it's like uh, you know. No, I've been. I, I'm watching it with uh, you know great interest because it's like watching. Octopus Pole, do you remember, that predicted the, <laughs> the soccer games? Uh, you yeah, know, the World uh, Cup. In uh, the World uh, Cup. Uh, the World yeah, Cup. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yes, yeah. nobody knows, actually, you know. So I, I can tell you for sure that many people that now say, yes, it was quite clear that year uh, United Arab Emirates and Israel were heading to normalization of ties uh like three weeks ago they would tell you tell you that no it's still not the time you know it it will happen perhaps but in the future not today and certainly not next week okay so nobody really knows it can happen in two months uh time and it can happen in two years you know so uh i know that there is a lot of pressure on the, you know on behalf of israel to make it happen and the sooner the better because this is personal interest of netanyahu uh to uh, create this uh you know, impression that we have a slide now, okay, of so states that are interested to uh, normalize their relations with Israel uh, and uh, that Israel is becoming, in fact, you know, a, a part of the Middle East, also in the eyes of the Middle Easterners, uh, that there is no more problem with Israel. Israel is a normal state. It's a state like all of the states here in the region. It's acceptable uh and it's it's legal, yes, it's not an interest anymore. Uh so um uh, it can happen. Uh countries like Bahrain, for example, uh, are most probable candidates because they expressed interest. You know, that's uh, it's not you know hard to, to say that uh they uh, these countries are not very far away perhaps uh from a, uh signing a new deal uh with Israel because Bahrain's uh, foreign minister and prime minister all of them they were taking very favorably about Israel in the in the past. Uh, and I can tell you that uh, the first time I heard from a uh, Bahraini, actually he was an Iraqi, but he lived in Bahrain for many years, uh, that uh, they wanted they are interested in peace with Israel. It was in 2003. I was flying uh, to Manama uh, from Istanbul. It was during the Second Gulf War in 2003. Uh, and I sat next to a guy, uh, Iraqi Shia, uh, who uh, resided in Bahrain for for 20 years or so, uh, and uh, when he, th- he heard that I'm from Israel, he said, "Wow, you know, it's amazing. We we need to we need to trade with Israel. We do not need to war to have a war. Let's ma- let's 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 trade. Let's uh, do business. Uh, let's not uh, fight each other. You know. So uh, it was uh, you know it's an anecdotal, of course, but it was." something that I never expected to hear Uh, at that time. It was, you know, 17 years ago. But apparently, yes, there is an interest. Uh, You know, they want tourism, they want development, uh, they want uh, weapons, of course. Uh, So it might happen. Again, the big question is not, you know, whether we will have next, uh, you know, peace with uh, Oman or Bahrain. Uh, I'm very enthusiastic about it, and I think it's a great thing. But again, uh, I have to... Uh, just, you know, always keep in mind that our neighbors here are Palestinians. They are not Bahrainis and not Omanis. And uh, if we will have even, you know, if we will sign today peace with five more Arab states, will it help us uh, negotiate a solution uh, with uh, Fatah or Hamas, uh, with Abu Mazen or with Muhammad Dahlan? Not until, no, until, uh, you know, there is no readiness in the Israeli leadership uh, for some kind of compromise for a peace deal, uh, to help the Palestinians to see them as equal partners, to sit with them again at the negotiation table and not to try to trick them, but really to try to you know, to work things out uh, because only, only this will actually protect us uh, and give us uh, uh, real security that we need. Uh, you know, the relations with the Arab states that are far away from Israel are of course important, but our first circle, circle Uh, It's the most important. And in this first circle, nothing is going on. There is just more frustration. Uh, The Palestinian autonomy becomes more fragile by the day. Uh, And if it will, uh, you know, dissolve in some way and uh, if it will uh, become too weak to manage manage things, we will pay the price. The Israelis will pay the price. Uh, And uh, it will be great that at the same time we'll be able to visit uh, Manama and Abu Dhabi, but it will not solve uh, our problems here. You know, so you see what I mean. Uh, so in this regard, I think uh, it's important not to you know, uh, forget about uh, what is happening here on the ground and what is happening. It's a very grim reality of desperate people who now also feel that they are being abandoned by the whole world uh, and that they have no future. This is a very uh, bad situation to have your direct neighbors uh, in.
1: Ksenia, before we close, I just want to bring up something that you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. You spoke about the Arab Peace Initiative. Uh, For our listeners, that's the 2002 policy put forward by the Arab League under the leadership of Saudi Arabia saying that in exchange for a two state solution Israel would get normalization with the Arab world and we've seen today the Saudi foreign minister say that there will still be no ties between his country and Israel without peace with the Palestinians but you know that Saudi Arabia is of course an important um, player possibly the central player but Uh, You know, you have these other regional powers like the UAE and possibly Oman and Bahrain making arrangements with Israel outside of this context. So do these developments mean the end of the Arab peace initiative? What is the purpose of that policy going forward now that you have other Arab countries normalizing their ties with Israel?
2: Well, it seems to me that it will be very difficult for Saudi Arabia, even if it would be willing. And today it doesn't seem that it is willing to actually, you know, take its own initiative and to push it forward. Uh, because, uh, you know, the uh, uh, the horses have run away already. Uh, you have uh, you have the UAE, which is, uh, you know, an emerging leader here in the Middle East, uh, making this step that it would be unimaginable. Uh, even five years, uh, you know, ago, ten years ago, it would be unimaginable that they would have a separate peace with uh, Israel uh, without even uh, a promise <laughs> that Israel will go back to the negotiations with the Palestinians and so on. So it means that uh, the Arab initiative officially it's still with us, uh, but the momentum probably has gone. And there is no willingness, you know, on behalf of the uh, Saudi leadership that is, uh, you know, it's trying to also deal with the other internal and uh, not less important challenges. Of course, they are modernizing their country right now. They are trying to relaunch, basically, Saudi Arabia. It's a, uh, a new, more open and more, you know, advanced modern country uh, uh, with economical problems and issues and so on. Uh, it seems that there is not... There is no energy right now, uh, you know, in the area uh, in order to try and to promote once again, you know, this initiative, especially with the recent developments, you know, with the uh, Emirates and, uh, you know, what you can exactly, you know, sell uh, if you would lure, you would would try to lure Israelis uh, into accepting their peace initiative. You cannot promise to them peace with, for example, Syria or Lebanon, you know, because uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia or United Arab Emirates cannot uh, promise anything like this, okay? Uh, even though that, you know, that uh, uh, both Syria and Lebanon, uh, they uh, uh, supported the Arab Peace Initiative in uh, one of the summits uh, of the Arab League. Yes, they, they uh, supported it along with the other Arab states. So uh, uh, it seems that uh, it will, you know, continue to exist, but in name only. Uh it might uh, it might be useful again, perhaps if uh, Biden will uh, win uh, the elections, uh, the presidential elections in the U.S., and uh, then he will try to revise somehow the uh, negotiations between Israelis and Palestinians. We know that he holds a different view, you know, not like uh, Donald Trump uh, on these affairs. Uh, but uh, uh, I think it will be uh, it, it, it's you know it's past its time. You know, it was a great initiative. It had a really good base, uh, you know, for promoting things. Uh, It was never adopted by Israel. It was also never adopted by the Arabs as a a tool that uh, it's good to to use and to try to really advance uh, peace in the region. It seems that everybody right now is uh, responsible for his and hers uh, personal affairs of uh, their country uh, and uh, the time for this Arab solidarity. Around the Palestinian uh, issue, perhaps it's gone for now. Uh, we do not know if the situation will be changed and it will be different uh, in, uh, you know, a year or two years from now. But uh, if the, you know, geopolitical trends that exist today, will continue, I do not see how the Arab peace initiative can be salvaged or revived.
1: Regardless of what happens with this, clearly we are in changing times. So. Uh, Ksenia, thank you as always for joining us and sharing your expertise and your insights on these issues.
2: Thank you very much for having me and shalom from uh, Jerusalem.
1: And for our listeners, you should look out for a new book coming out by Ksenia in early September called Covering the Middle East in High Heels. It'll be out first in Hebrew and then an English translation will be available at a later date. So definitely keep your eyes out for that. And stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Israel Policy Pod.